0: Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken to us so that we might know the way of salvation and eternal life. Father, we pray that you may help us all this morning to listen carefully to your words so that we might understand, come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved, and that we might have our hearts reshaped so that we might love the things that you love. Amen. Are there people in your life who you find it hard to love? I'm sure we've all had that experience at one time or another. Uh, At one point, uh, when I was at a previous church, there was a man in my Bible study group. Uh, I'm going to call him Harold, not his real name. Uh, He was paranoid. Uh, He was possibly mildly psychotic. Uh, He would tell us things that had happened that had a ring of being maybe a little bit detached from reality. Uh, Harold was nervous about practically everything. Uh, He was quite hard work to relate to. Uh, He had lots of conflict in his family background, really difficult upbringing. Uh, His wife was, as far as I could tell, probably emotionally abusive to him, uh, and his son was emotionally, possibly even physically abusive. It was very hard work Uh, to make sense of conversation with Harold and to take care of him. And it would have been really easy just to avoid him, make him feel like he didn't really belong in our church. But when Harold first came to our church, and it was before I was there, uh, that's not how the church treated him. Uh, He was made to feel welcome. He'd come from a Greek Orthodox background, uh, but the church took the time to explain the gospel and Harold came to trust in Christ and became a regular member of our church there were a couple of other men who always made a point of talking with him on a sunday making sure he felt welcome and cared for and hard as he could be in certain respects he was always kind uh, he was always thankful uh, he worked hard being a regular part of the morning tea roster caring for us and being diligent in everything he did. He wasn't easy, but he was a wonderful blessing to our church. I raise that example because God brings all kinds of people together in our church. Not just the sorts of people that we might pick, the sorts of people we might be comfortable with, the sorts of people we might find it easy to get along with, God brings together all sorts of people, and isn't that wonderful? But that's one of the big ideas in our passage this morning, that God brings together all sorts of people in the one saving work of Jesus Christ. So as we come to chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, uh, it might be, Uh, A surprise to you, but that's not the beginning of the letter. So just a little bit of a recap of the last chapter, where we're up to. Uh, We began this letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Paul commanded, or he urged Timothy to command other people not to teach differently. See, there is only one correct teaching of the gospel. And people who were teaching differently had to stop. The problem with these different teachers was not that they had rejected their Bible. Uh, We see in chapter 1, verse 7, that they wanted to be teachers of the law. They wanted to teach from the scriptures, but they were misusing the scriptures. And so, Paul says, no, no, we need to teach the scriptures rightly. And the right use of the law, Paul showed in verses 12 to 17, is to reveal our sin. And Paul offers himself as an example of that. And in verse 18, he calls Timothy to follow that example. So we've got the right use of the law, revealing sin, and an example in Paul and Timothy. And we've got the wrong use of the law that's doing something else. And we have an example of that in verse 20 of chapter 1. We don't know exactly what they did, but Hymenaeus and Alexander. So there's two ways of teaching and examples of both of them. And so as we come to chapter 2, we're seeing the positive example the what good gospel teaching looks like. And where does Paul start as he wants us to see good teaching? We're going to do it in three parts. Part 1 will be God's good order for all people. Part 2, God's desire for all people. And 3, Christ's saving work for all people. So, number 1, God's good order for all people what does Paul want us to know first of all about what it is to teach God's word rightly, to live out the gospel in the correct way? Chapter 2 verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that or, first of all that requests, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. First thing we need to do to live out this true teaching? Prayer. Now, notice here it's not particularly prayer about ourselves. It's prayer for all people, it's praying for others. Now, what does that look like to pray for all people? Well, it doesn't mean, you'll be relieved to know, that we need to pray for every single individual all over the face of the earth. Um, That probably wouldn't work. No, but it means we don't just pray for people who are like us. We don't just pray for other Christians. We pray for everyone, all people, people of all types, from all backgrounds, all dispositions, all nations. We pray for everyone. You see, every human being on earth has been made by God is made in God's image and is loved by God. And if God loves all people, so should we. And the first way we express that is in prayer. But you'll notice, even at the same time that Paul says prayers should be made for everyone, in verse 1, what's verse 2? Well, he also wants prayers to be made for kings and for all those in authority. See, he singles out one particular group even while saying pray for everybody. Why does he single out one group? Well, it's not because they're more deserving or more important to him or he loves them more. No. What's special about kings and all those in authority? Well, it's that they have a huge impact on all of us, don't they? And so praying for kings and all those in authority is actually an expression of our love and our care for all people. And we do it so that we, people might be able to live peaceful and quiet lives. You'll see there in the middle of verse 2. See, earthly authorities make a big difference for everybody. If you have a good government in place in whatever part of the world you happen to live in, you can live in safety. You can get on with having your own job, caring for your family, doing the things that you do. Now, it might be good for governments to do other things beyond just provide physical safety. You know, building roads and schools, that's a good thing to do. But keeping its citizens safe is actually the very reason for a government's existence. If they're not doing that, everything else becomes irrelevant. I think it's easy for us to forget that, isn't it? We live in a nation that has, for the most part, done a phenomenal job of keeping citizens safe. Uh, We don't have marauding armies of invaders slaughtering our people as they do in Sudan or Congo or Nigeria. We don't have a government that is ruthlessly purging our own citizens as they do in North Korea or Afghanistan, we've got a good government that for the most part does a really good job of keeping us safe. And sometimes we can be, take that for granted and so grumble about all of the other little details that we might want them to do differently. Citizens of most, many countries in the world probably can't even imagine the peace and stability that we have here. Please don't take it for granted. Pray for our government. Now, as Christians, we're not citizens of Australia, ultimately. We're citizens of heaven. But even now, we are living here in this country. This is where we live. And so, as part of God's world, living in God's good created order, we should pray that God's good order for creation will be expressed and one of the ways that happens is through good government. You notice Paul's request here that we pray for our government, it's actually quite similar to what we say in the Lord's Prayer. As we pray each week together, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We want God's will and God's good order to be expressed here and now because this is God's good creation, even if it is not our ultimate home. So, Pray for your governments. You'll notice we do this in church. We often have a, as part of our prayers, we pray for our prime minister, our parliament, our premier, our king. Uh, It's not by accident. The scriptures encourage us to pray for our governments, and so we should. You see, all people live in God's world. God's good order for us is that wise rulers will lead us in peace. And so we should be thankful for those who do, and we should pray for all rulers that they might be able to continue to do that. But you'll notice that's not the whole point of Paul's prayer. The prayer for rulers is part of it. But it's not just about having a peaceful and quiet life now so we can get on with things. See, there's more to Paul's reasoning. Look at ver- I'm up to my second point now. God's good desire for all people. Have a look at verses 3 and 4 with me. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What is it that's good? This is good? It's good that we pray for all people. It's those prayers that God is pleased with. God cares for all people. And so it pleases him when we care for all people and express that by praying for all people. You see, God doesn't just love some people. God doesn't just love Christians. God doesn't just love the nation of Israel, who we see he chose in the Old Testament to be his treasured possession. God does love Israel. God does love Christians, but God loves all people. God wants all people to be saved. If you've got the Pew Bible in front of you, you'll see verse 4, he wants all men to be saved it's because then we've got very old Pew Bibles. Uh, I assure you, it's all people. Okay? The English language has changed in the 40 years since this was printed. All people. God wants to save all people. How is it that people will be saved, though? It's still here, right in verse 4. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, the way that people are saved is by coming to a knowledge of the truth, the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus did as he came and he died in our place and rose from the dead. That is the truth that you must know in order to be saved. Salvation and truth go together. And so when God wants all people to be saved, he wants them to be saved by learning the truth of the gospel. One of the things we're doing together as a church this year is we're trying to collect different stories of how people have come to understand Christ. We're trying to get an idea of how is it that God has worked in your life so that we can be encouraged as we see the wonderful things that God has done. And one of the things that I hope we'll notice is that in every single one of those stories, the thing that has changed us has been this knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of what Christ has done. Now, maybe the knowledge might have come a little bit before some of the change in our life. But it is as we contemplate this true thing that God has done in Jesus Christ And as we work out what difference that makes in our life, it is that truth that ultimately changes us, that saves us. And I'm really looking forward to hearing as many stories as possible this year of how God has worked in our lives and how this knowledge of the truth has brought people to salvation. People are saved. When they understand that Jesus is the crucified and risen Lord of all. That is the truth that brings salvation. So God loves all people. And so he's pleased when we love all people and express it by praying for them. But it's not just for the peaceful life here and now. It's about something much more important. It's because God wants all people to be saved. That caused you a problem? God wants all people to be saved? If that's true, why doesn't he just do it? Why hasn't God just saved everybody? You see, if God really wanted all people to be saved, why hasn't he? Like, why is not everybody trusting in Jesus? Well, what do we mean by all people here? Is actually an important question. Look back at verse 1. Because this, As we see all people in verse 4, uh, it's actually not the first time that we've seen all people. Uh, it's also at the end of verse 1. See who we're praying for? Everyone. It's the same idea. All people. Are we praying for every single individual person on earth? Well, let's just do some quick maths here. There's about 8 billion people alive today. It's just recently ticked over the eight billion mark, according to the UN. If I were to pray for each and every individual, and let's say, I I just keep it really short. Let's go for one second per person. Um, That's just over 253 years to pray for everybody on earth today, okay? When Paul says I should pray for all people, he's not saying pray for every single individual, okay? It's not gonna work. But I should pray for all kinds of people. People who are like me, people who are different to me. Little people, big people, young, old. People who are white, people who are of every ethnicity on earth. There is no one who I should not pray for. And so when it says that God wants all people to be saved, it's not saying that He is going to save every single individual. It's saying that all sorts of people, no matter how old or how young, no matter what their skin color, no matter what their job, their socioeconomic status, no matter who they are, God wants to save that person through the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of Christ. You will never meet a person who you should not pray for. You will never meet a person whom you should not preach the gospel to and tell them of the wonderful things that God has done for them in Christ Jesus because you see God wants every person to be saved and the way he does that is by revealing the truth to them through human words as we share the good news about Jesus. So as we read in chapter 2, verse 4, that God wants all people to be saved, it's not saying that God will save all people. He won't. But it means that we should share this good news about Christ with everyone because that's what God wants. And we should want what God wants. We should be calling people to repent of their sins and turn to Christ. We should be praying for the salvation of every person we meet. Not in the literal sense of you keep a tally, but pray for the people in your life, including that person you find really hard to get along with. Think back to my story of Harold. Paranoid, mildly psychotic. God can and does save people that we wouldn't pick. Which actually is good news for me, because it means I'm here. (laughs) God can and does bless our churches with people who we might not have brought in if it had been up to us. How good would it be if we were a people who, when we met the difficult person, didn't avoid them, but we prayed for them and welcomed them and shared the good news about Jesus with them. And helped draw them into our church. Think of the wonderful ways in which God would be able to bless us if we brought all of these people in consistently. Because preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to all people. It's, that's the logic of verses 5 to 7 in our passage today. Let me read it again from verse five. For there is one God and one mediator between God and people, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I, that's Paul, was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. That means to all of the nations. So we're at point three, Christ's saving work for all people. Do you see this theme that just repeats throughout these verses? The Pew Bibles use a few different words, so you might miss it. But see, verse one, everyone. Verse four, all men, or all people. Verse six, all men, or again, all people. Uh, verse five it has a slightly different word. Uh, one mediator between God and Pew Bible says men. I'm going to say people. doesn't say all people, but that's the implication, right? All people, all people, all people, all people. And then it finishes with Paul saying, I'm going to preach the gospel to people from every nation. There is one gospel for all people. One thing that we should declare to everybody. Five times in the space of seven verses, Paul refers to everyone. You see the contrast, though? All people one God. Verse five, "For there is one God." If you know your Old Testament, one of the most important verses in the whole Old Testament, one of, even today, one of the probably the most important verse in Judaism, because they share our, our Old Testament as their scriptures. Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the fundamental confession of the whole Old Testament, that there is one God. God's people lived amongst other nations who worshipped many gods, but for Israel, they knew there was one God. And here Paul tells us we're interested in all people because there is one God. There's no alternatives. There's no competitors to this one God. I don't know if you've ever heard people talk about all religions being essentially the same. Uh, It's been fashionable to talk like that for a long time. Uh, It's like every religion is a different path leading up the same mountain. It doesn't matter which path you take, as long as you're climbing that one mountain. I recently heard one friend say something along the lines that actually all of those gods are real. Uh, you know, Allah, Buddha, Jesus, that they're all up in the sky having a big banquet together and you can just pick whichever one you like, whatever suits your tastes. Uh, it's called omnism, that all religions are equally true at the same time. It might sound nice to people in our world. The big problem with it is it's just not true. We don't have Israel being ruled over by Yahweh and Rome being ruled over by Jupiter. It's just not how it works. We don't have Jesus Christ as the king of Christian people, while Allah rules over Muslims. It's just not how it works. There is one God, not multiple gods. There is one way, not multiple paths. One God, one way to salvation. No matter who you are, no matter what your tastes may be, and that is the truth for all people. Paul here is saying exactly the same thing as Jesus, though, isn't he? It's not like this is Paul being really narrow. Jesus was inclusive. No, Jesus said exactly the same thing. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one God. One way to salvation for all people. It's good news, right? Isn't it simple? <laughs> it means there's only one way. I don't have to worry if I've got it right, if I'm, you know, maybe I need to add something from over there and do something else over there. Like, No, no, there's just one. And it's actually a really simple way. I trust Jesus, and that's enough. One way to salvation. I can be confident I don't have to second guess. This is it. We have the truth, the one way, and it's just Jesus. And I don't need anything more. It's good news. Do you see how that one way to salvation works? Verse 5, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and people, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. The only way to salvation is through Jesus who gave himself as a ransom so that he might be our mediator with God. A mediator is just a person who tries to bring two parties together to sort out a conflict. Our conflict with God is we've just completely rejected him as our ruler. We've rebelled against him, but Jesus is the mediator. He paid the ransom, the penalty for our sin, to bring us together with God, and Jesus is the perfect mediator because he is god but he's also human he knows our weaknesses he knows all of the frailties of the human condition and so he can represent us to god the father but he's also fully divine and so he can represent god to us he is the perfect mediator between us and god He's the only mediator who can reconcile us to God. And Jesus' death as the ransom is the only way that we can be raised from our own graves and raised to eternal life as we will be gathered together around Christ's throne. There is no other way. So as you drive through Lakemba just down the road, past the mosque there, they're not pious people who are seeking God. They are rebels against the one God who made all things. They are desperately lost, working forever in the hope that it might be enough, oppressed by what is an oppressive religion. Pray for them. Or as I speak to my atheist uncle, who once gave a eulogy for my great aunt, talking about how she's up in the sky looking down at us on, upon us. And when we asked him afterwards, do you actually believe that? Went, no, but what else can you say in the face of death? He's lost. He has no hope. There's nothing beyond this world in his mind, but he's wrong. There is a hope in Jesus Christ. And so, I ought to pray for him and I ought to speak with him about this one good truth. As we look out into this world and we see people who are sleepwalking toward hell, it should break our hearts that these people have rejected God. And eternal life is just available if they'll just accept the gift from God. Is one God, one way to salvation for all people. Let me say two final words about it. First, if you don't yet trust Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, if you don't trust that his death is the one and only way that you can be saved from sin, now is the time. There is only one way. You don't need anything else. Put your trust in Christ now. If you're not quite sure what that means or you need help you still need to sort it through come and talk to Dave or right? but second for those of us who do trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior now is the time to be sharing that good news with all people we should be supporting missionaries who are going out to other nations postcards at the back if you want to get some prayer points and Connect with some missionaries and pray and pray for people who are all in other parts of the world. Now is the time to be supporting the ministries of our church as we seek to evangelize the people in our community. Particularly our playgroup, Friday at Fields and Ignite, as all sorts of non-Christian kids and families are being connected with our church through these ministries. Pray for them, support them with your money and with your time, each as we're able. We'll each contribute in different ways, but now is the time to see this gospel preached to all people. But most importantly, speak. If you know the truth, and that truth brings salvation, share it. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbours. Praise the great things that God has done in your life. Praise the God for the great things he's done in Jesus Christ. Because like Paul, the very purpose of our life here in this world is to preach that gospel. Each in our own way, in our own circumstance. We don't, we don't all do it in exactly the same way. But we can all speak about what Jesus has done. And so as God's adopted children we ought to want what god wants we ought to want the salvation of all people so let's pray for them and let's speak to people of all ages and people from every nation one person at a time let me pray heavenly father we thank you that you do desire the salvation of all people And we thank you that you have revealed the way of salvation to us through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, and through the preaching of your gospel to all nations. Father, we pray that you may give us hearts like yours, that we might desire the salvation of all people, and that we may participate with you in taking this good news to all people. Amen.